This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good morning and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and this is the podcast where we speak to technology founders, executives and leaders from the world of InsureTech. And today I'm very lucky to be joined by co-founder James, head of design at InkTrap. James, welcome. How are you? Hello. Um, I'm very good. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you for having me on today. It's really good to be here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great to um, it's great to have you on. I don't get to say it often, but it's nice when we, prior to the podcast, get to meet in person, which you and I did at um, ITC Barcelona, which was a which was a fun event, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. It's always nice to be somewhere else outside of London, um, meeting other <laughs> people. Everyone seems a lot more relaxed. I don't know if it's just a London thing at the events here, but you just feel more relaxed and able to talk to people when. When you're in Barcelona, maybe it's just a Barcelona thing. I think so. I think it's the. I think it's just the the London thing, as you say. We're all 100 miles an hour. Go go go! But um, but yeah, no, I very much enjoyed the pace uh, myself. But like before, we kind of get into covering various aspects of design and team building, hiring, and and I guess the role of of product design and designers. Um, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself how you got into tech and design and I guess how you started navigating into innovating products and insure tech. Yeah, sure. So um, my background is actually in physical product design. That's what I studied at university. Uh, the degree was product design, but it's kind of better known as industrial design. Um, I studied at Brunel University and the focus there is on user-centered design. So making sure that what you are producing is actually beneficial to people um we're using kind of different tools and techniques for research and then testing back your ideas which has been really useful for me now i've moved into the digital space so um yeah i studied there for four years that's where i met my co-founder at inktrap sam and we actually lived next door to each other in first year and then yeah i haven't been able to shake him off since um but yeah, he suggested actually in final year at university that we should start our own design agency. Um, naturally, I said, that's completely mad. Like, that, no one's going to work with us. Why would they work with us? We're new. We've got no experience. But then a few weeks later, I thought, hang on, I've actually got nothing to lose here. So we should just give it a go. For instance, yeah, finishing university, didn't have any financial commitments like a mortgage or long-term rent agreement or anything wasn't in a relationship or anything so I could do whatever I wanted except I didn't have much money that was a big limiter so um the joy of starting an agency is in our sector you just need a laptop in your brain 
um, which luckily I had both of those things. Um, so yeah, we started InkTrap, which was initially just focused on any graphic design work that we could get. Um, so websites and logos and things like that main, mainly. And then after about six months, um, someone approached us and wanted to update their really awful WordPress powered solution um, into a mobile app. And we just said, no, this is gonna be a terrible user experience. What you need to do is make it a native um, iPhone app. And they said, yeah, go on then, let's give it a go. Uh, which we were a bit shocked by. We thought they were gonna tell us, no, we're not gonna work with you. But they did, they kind of took a bit of a chance on us. Um, and this was at a point where we literally had nearly run out of money. It was like what I call the nectar point Christmas where I was living off nectar points um, had no money left in the overdraft and we managed to get this bit of work signed off and then designed and built this um, iOS app which was for free and cheap events in London and then that was really popular it led to loads of referrals um, the founder worked in PR so she got it into loads of national newspapers which led to spikes in downloads it was featured on the app store and we ended up working on loads of different B2C apps. This was about 2014. But everyone wanted an app. And most people didn't know why. They just were like, we need to have an app because they've got an app. That was the kind of reason. So we ended up working on loads of these apps and that got us into product design. Um, and then over the next couple of years, we kind of did fewer B2C apps and more B2B web-based apps, the so things you access through the web browser. Um, and that's kind of led us into now running a design team that designs and sometimes builds um, fintech, legal tech, uh, insure tech, and other professional services products. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the ink trap story in a nutshell. Mm. Awesome. No, thank you for that. And it's um, it was very much a bit of a excuse <laughs> a bit, a bit, a bit of a fuck it moment. Just go for it and. Um, yeah, just there, uh, fling the kitchen sink at it, and and cl clearly, you know, ten years later, it's um, it's paid off dividends, and it was a great a great gamble. Yeah, I think it's always been our approach. If someone comes to us and say, "I want this," we think about it and go, "Have you thought about doing it this way instead?" Because this would probably work better. Like, we're not afraid to do that, no matter who it is, because we want to be working on the right things that actually add value to people, um, and not just saying yes to everything just because it mm. pays the bills. And in the long run, that leads to better client relationships and ultimately a, a healthier business. And most of our client relationships last years where we support them, often from the very early stages where they're designing, and building a new product, um, all the way through to ongoing support. And eventually they will hire their own design team in-house and we're not needed on an ongoing basis anymore. Mm. I think that's... Uh a point you know we'll, we'll definitely unpack a little later you know when do you opt for the build versus buy option and design you know do you how long do you use an ink trap for and, and when do you then bring it in-house but yeah it's interesting fintech i can obviously see that over the last 10 years where that need would have come in and then you look at i mean legal tech and insure tech and obviously being a leadership and insurance podcast i'm very interested in when that you started seeing that kind of shift within insure tech and innovation and that 
those kind of user experience design requests coming through? Has that been a fairly recent thing in the last couple of years or how has that transformed? Um, I think probably about 2015 sort of time, 2015, 2016 is when we realized that we didn't want to work on um, marketing sites anymore because it was becoming a race to the bottom with mm. uh, platforms like um, Squarespace and new tools like Webflow appearing, which meant that people could build their own sites. There was fewer work opportunities available. There were loads of companies offering web design development services. Um, so we thought, well, let's move into products. That's where our background is. That's what we enjoy the most. So we were one of the first companies in, well, in the UK, I think, that kind of said that we are digital product design specialists focused on B2B digital products. Um, we used to rank really highly for that as a result on SEO. So we got lots of inquiries and work via our website. But since then, we've seen an explosion of companies offering the same service, basically. And now it's become really, really competitive. And um, a lot of the web development agencies got squeezed out of their space and now into products. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's kind of been a, because of the, the consumer facing apps that came about sort of 10 plus years ago, mainly powered by Apple, of course, and the iPhone. Um, I think that's trickled into business tools and the value of design has been recognized, um, how it helps massively with retention and also winning new customers. And those principles have been applied from B2C products now to B2B products where it's no longer acceptable to have a horrific user experience. Um, yeah, the bar has been raised by kind of mainly the work that Apple and Google have done on their side. Um, so now the expectation that people have from their B2C products, from both users and um, owners of these tools, is kind of transferred into the expectation of B2B products as well now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been that's quite it's quite a a longer journey than I thought within InsureTech. At least two thousand and fifteen, you started seeing that kind of paradigm shift happen within focusing on user experience because, you know, as we know in insurance, a lot of it is about the insurer um, and on on their side. But I think, as you say, that kind of shift from B to C and seeing what can happen in that world is is very much took hold of, of the B two B SaaS world. Um, and you kind of talked about when you come in, help really transform their design function and their user experience. And at some point, they decide, well, maybe it's now time to use a product designer or build their own in-house team. Like when, when do you think startups and businesses should really consider investing in design and for their products or, or services? Is there a kind of pivotal point or is it based on growth is it is it hard to define in, in your in your head um this is something i've thought quite a lot about in the last few months um as we've tried to position ourselves more effectively thinking about when is the right time to approach people about using our services and for me i think it comes down to two main times um firstly at the start when you need to communicate a vision to help raise investment, for instance, or get buy-in from stakeholders, then having a visual prototype 
which doesn't need to work technically, just needs to communicate what the vision is for this product, what are the features, how could they work to kind of sell the dream and get everyone on the same page. That is a really good first point in which to invest in user experience, user interface design. This is something we've done with a lot of clients um, in just like a two week design sprint. We can go from idea to prototype and then they can use that in their pitch decks and their presentations to get buy-in from investors and potential users as well and potential partners. Um, so we've that's a really good time to invest that like right at the start to help clearly communicate your vision and help focus it as well. Um, and then you can, that helps with raising money and then you can actually build the first version of the product. Um, so that's kind of on the startup life cycle, that's the first point at which I would be like, yes, invest in design at this point. It's really valuable if you have a user interface. The next time I probably say is when you're entering the growth stage, once you've proved your product market fit, you prove the revenue model and you prove that technology can support what you want to do, then it's time to kind of scale up to a wider audience base. And that is the time to bring on board ongoing design support to make sure that your product is usable for the vast majority of people. Um, because at that point you're competing against other products and tools. So yeah. your user interface and user experience needs to be just as good, if not better than theirs. Um, so that's a really good time as well. So yeah, those are the two main points. And I think if you get those two right, then that's the main thing. I mean, if you've got cash to burn, then before the growth stage, when you're kind of still doing the product market fit and the validation side of things, then yeah, it's always useful to have a designer on the team just to make sure that, um, again, to help with communicating concepts and things to the development team to build. But I think if you really need to pick and choose, it would be right at the start and during the growth phase. Mm. And, you know, it kind of probably negates the next question. Does a startup even need a designer um, in the beginning? Because um, they have an option like Inktrap or, or another service-based consultancy to come in and hit the ground running and, and, and get their user experience where they need to be from the start, you know, um, but I think you've just answered that kind of probably in that, in that answer. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head then. Um, there are teams like us who can come in and give basically give you that massive adrenaline boost at the start. So you don't need to then become an expert in hiring designers or managing a design team. We can be an off the shelf solution to do that. We can even be your entire product team. Um, some early stage startups we work with, we have been that where it's just us and the founder on the team to start with, to build the product. And then they introduce like a sales or marketing person to help sell the tool. And once it's generating revenue, begin hiring developers. And then eventually our work is sort of scaled down, off they go, don't need the stabilizers anymore. Um, yeah, so you don't, I don't think it's always essential as well to invest in um, designers with your startup. It depends on what your product is and if the user interface is very important. Sometimes you might not even have a user interface. Um, it might be entirely service-based or you can use off-the-shelf tools 
low-code and no-code solutions that come with their own UIs. They're normally not as good as if you had built them from scratch, but they'll do at the start until you get to that sort of mass market adoption phase. Mm. Um, so yeah, kind of thinking about, do I actually need to invest in a designer at this point? Is my user interface really important for the success of the business? Or can it be sort of secondary level for now and then we'll come back and reinvest in it when um, we've got a bit more revenue coming in? Mm. Do you think that question becomes more <clears throat> prominent now with the introduction of AI and all these kind of tools that well, basically allow you to build a, a website, build a user experience all through just punching in these ideas. And I appreciate it's not fully custom built, but do you think that kind of begs the question more on do we even need a design team ever with these tools? Do we just need someone that can maintain it? Like, what's your kind of thoughts on AI coming into the whole design space? Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I'm really excited about how it's going to change things. I think it'll really help with efficiency um, with what we're doing. For instance, there are pretty early stage design tools that basically allow you to say, create a landing page with this sort of messaging, and then it'll automatically create it for you or create a, an onboarding flow. We need to collect these data points, build it, and it will build it for you but you still need to provide it with the components that it uses to build those um, flows with. Mm. For instance, like what does a button look like? What are your brand colors? What does a form field look like? Um, so those still need to be built. So you still have the Lego bricks that you need to design and build before the AI can go away and construct them into whatever you need. And then you also, because it's mainly about efficiency, I think, in, in our industry, um, you still need to make sure that what it's doing more efficiently is actually of benefit. It's not just wasting time more efficiently. So I think uh, our work as designers will become more strategic. Um, it will be less rolling out um, design styles across wireframes, which are the basic sort of blueprints of pages and flows and more thinking about, well, what do we want users to be able to do in this flow? And um, what do users need to do in these flows? Um, what is technically feasible? How is this going to integrate with the development team? Um, so yeah, kind of more strategic thinking, less rolling out designs, but still the design element where you need to design the components that make up the screens that are going to be generated using AI and things like that. So yeah, I think it's, it is really exciting, but I still think there is a place for designers and will be for quite a long time to come. Um, mm. I think there always will be a place for people that know how to learn what customers actually need. And that is fundamentally a designer's job is to understand that and then create solutions that um, provide those, provide that service those needs. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, I to totally agree. It's more a leading question, but I think, uh, I think you know, in an age that we're in, brand is just it's just king, you know. And 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 services, 
of course, are massively important. But when you look at the effect that the design team has on brand and how that comes across to consumers or businesses that want to use your services or work or partner with you, like, what do you feel like the significance is of, of really getting that user experience right from the very start? As you say, those plug and play options like low code, no code, the AI features which get you up and running quickly. Is it detrimental in the beginning or do you feel like you really need to get it right at the start? Um, I, I think it's a great thing to use when you're just starting out. Um, I'm a big believer in the lean startup approach to product mm. development, where you basically want to release something as quickly as possible, even if you know it's it's clunky, doesn't work particularly well, um, but it does work in order to get feedback and close the feedback loop. So start getting feedback from people, from people actually using this in real life situations. And then that informs what updates you need to make. So then you're not wasting your time sort of guessing what things you should focus on to improve on the product. The improvements are based on genuine user uh, behavior. Mm. Um, so following that approach with low code tools, you can quickly get something released. Um, and one of our clients is a massive company, but he loads of work with. And a lot of their products that we work on um, have initially been built in low code or no code platforms in order to make sure that there is a product market fit there, that it actually is a service that people actually want to use. And once that's proved, then we work with them to redesign it um, to make it as good as it could possibly be and then support them as they build it and then continue to support them as future releases are developed. But yeah, they definitely have a place, low code, no code tools in the early stages. And if I was to have a tech startup now, I would look at, can I get an off the shelf solution to start with to get the ball rolling? And also it can save money in the long run. Don't have to hire a big team and then realize six months down that no one actually wants my product or service. I've not wasted money with that. So I can fail fast if I am going to fail and move on to the next thing. So yeah, I think they're, they're really cool. And there's a lot of nice um, insure tech focused ones now. Uh, I know that we're in, at the conference in Barcelona. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they are getting better. Um, it's, you can still tell that something's been built with one of these. And at the end of the day, they are ex an extension of your own ability, um, a bit like AI, making you more efficient at creating things. But if what you're creating isn't right, then it's just creating stuff faster that isn't right, which isn't great. Um, yeah. But at least then you've got something, you can get user feedback on that and improve it accordingly. And are you seeing any... Because as you kind of touched on, we've seen a lot more insure tech activity on this front. Are you seeing any trends or, or technology or design trends in the insure tech space since, well, you started working with in 2015, but particularly of, of recent times? Or is it the aforementioned and low, no code, you know, AI solutions? Or are there other ones that you're seeing that you're particularly excited about? Um, yeah, there's a lot of no code and low code tools and they are getting it easier and easier to use as well so you don't need to be an expert in them to build quite complicated systems um and also yeah like you said a lot of ai um a lot of kind of really clever ai stuff stuff like um that, that improves pricing models things like that that i could 
I have no idea how they do it, but it's it, it seems to work really efficiently. But I think um, the thing that excites me the most is when there is no user interface required anymore. And there's a really great example of that in one of the tech demos at um, uh, ITCDI Barcelona. Um, what was a company called? I think it's called Helvengo. They did a live demo with a water sensor where they dropped it in some water, which was very brave. I've seen so many demos go horribly wrong, but theirs actually went well. And the idea is they wanted to communicate the fact that these water sensors automatically detect when there's a leak in a building and will automatically contact a plumber to come and fix it. So you don't even have to do anything anymore. There is no interface. It doesn't just send off an alarm and you have to go and deal with the plumber and book it and figure out what's happening. It does it all automatically. And that is really exciting where technology has clearly made your life a lot easier, a lot more efficient as well. Whereas there's a lot of tools which just add additional complexity. There's a lot of dashboard focus tools which just show you a big wall of information and it's not really useful day to day. You need to be told when something has changed and when you need to look at it. Um, I kind of think of dashboards as three sorts of levels. The most basic level is here is the information. Good luck finding what you need. That's mm -hmm. it. The next level is telling you when something has changed or what you need to look at. Like this, um, I don't know, your, your spend this month has exceeded your target. You need to have a look at this. Here's a link to go and look at that. And then the kind of third level is like the Helvengo product where it, um, it automatically identifies the problem, solves the problem, and it does it all for you. That's the dream. So yeah, AI is really helping with that side of things, but even something like that, that sensor example, it's not particularly sophisticated AI. It's if this water sensor reaches this metric, like this value, you need to call a plumber, automatically calls the plumber, arranges a booking. Yeah, it's if this, then that. It's not particularly complicated, but it's really cool when, when things like that are implemented. And um, I'm looking forward to more of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as you say, reducing the layers of complexity and actually completely taking the user interface away is, um, you know, that's what that's what the people want, you know, to do, to do as little as possible and, and for everything. I mean, that's what AI is starting to give us, right? It's given us that efficiency. It's given us more just and uh, in, in our jobs anyway, you know, it's given, it's allowing us to focus on probably the more human elements of, of what we do. Mm. And um, and I think that example there of Helvengo is just, you know, cutting right to the core of a of a need. Um, and, and as you say, it's not anything particularly sexy, but it's just, it's just a great design feature. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think from, from my perspective as well, I wanted to, because it's something that I think is quite elusive, um, particularly with businesses that we work with at FinPro on the kind of recruitment side, whereby, you know, we work with seeds, kind of series A, series B businesses that maybe have at best a very lean design team, if maybe just one person. And and I think the whole culture of building a strong team as you go on is, is crucial. And, you know, we kind of touched on the buy versus build um, feature, but when you start to build within, you know, it's about, what qualities or, or skills you look for from that are essential to one hire a really great designer and then to build a really great 
successful design and development team like for you what do you have any advice or what qualities you you know you should be looking for at that stage um so we've really thought hard about this over the last 10 years um how to build a really good design team and i think when it comes to hiring you need to think about what levels you're hiring for and then you look for slightly different things depending on the level um so we hired a lot of junior designers in the past graduates a bit like me and sam when we first started like we we know the value that people can add even if they're in the first year of their career because that's what we did when we first started Inktrap. Um, so I think when it comes to hiring juniors or graduates, um, trying to make sure that they're on a really steep growth trajectory. Because um, a lot of people now switch careers into tech careers. Um, could be switching from a teacher to be a developer or someone who was to work in marketing into design. Um, we've hired all sorts of people from ex-musicians who became developers to people that used to work on big brand teams and now designers. And they might have only made the switch about six months ago and then done a few boot camps and accelerator courses um, to get them up to speed. And I think you need to look at the work that they've done over that period and see what sort of growth trajectory that they're on. So not looking for the applicant who has the best necessarily designed work, but looking at who has gone from zero to good design in a really short space of time. Because those are the people that are usually most enthusiastic and really love the subject. So yeah, looking for that trajectory more than uh, hiring who's the best at the time when they've applied necessarily. That's kind of what we look for. Because we've hired people in the past who might have like three or four years experience and their work is better than everyone else who applied that only had been doing this for six months or a year or two years, but their growth trajectory was quite flat. So we kind of now realize it's better to get the people in who are improving faster if they're juniors than someone who's ticking along, not particularly interested in the subject, treats it more of a job. And you can also identify that in interviews. If you ask people um, their opinion on certain subjects, if they have an opinion about something, then they've obviously thought about it outside of just doing the normal work hours work, if that makes sense, that they're generally interested in the subject. So yeah, I like to ask about people's opinion about yeah, what's the influence that you think AI is going to have on the design profession? Um, and yeah, questions like that in interviews. That was my most recent one I think I asked. And then if you're hiring more senior people, I think looking at, because you kind of get to a certain level where you've been doing this for like five plus years, everyone's yeah. work is of similar quality. Um, and you're not too worried about the technical aspects. Or are they going to be able to use Figma, the design software that we use? Of course they are. They've been doing this for five years. Um, you kind of look for the their sort of profile in the design community as well to see what, what are they actually doing outside of work? Um, are they genuinely really interested in this subject? Are they looking to give back to the up-and-coming designers? Are they writing about design? Are they doing podcasts? 
Um, are they tweeting or Xing, whatever it's called now? Um, yeah, so kind of looking for the additional stuff that they're doing beyond just the nine to five. And um, again, asking for their opinions about design trends and um, the industry and their thoughts on how to deliver human-centered design and just see if they're really engaged and interested in the subject. Because yeah, if someone's really enthusiastic about something, it's it they'll soon fill in any gaps that they have, especially if they're quite junior. So yeah, that's what I kind of look for now. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. A really nice way to kind of succinctly describe between the levels what you look for and and measuring success is always one that I'm interested about design about how you personally and how design teams measure success so from like an engineering perspective you've got the, the dora metrics which you know is deployment frequency lead time for changes mean time to recovery and change failure i think one of my engineering friends will quote me if i'm wrong um but you know that's a very favored kind of kpi or metric to use and design how, how how do you measure the success of a designer or design team what's your kind of preferred method this has been a problem <laughs> for a long time <laughs> how do you measure the impact of design yeah especially with most of the projects that we work on or most of the client engagements that we have we are one part of the jigsaw um so it's difficult to attribute our work to something being successful mm. or it not being successful. Um, But I think from a kind of more practical side of things, um, if we are the product team doing the design and the development and sometimes the strategy as well on like a greenfield project, for instance, working with an early stage startup, then that's a lot easier to measure the success of the product. Um, It's kind of looking at, did we, do what we said we were going to do on time and on budget if so great and how is the product faring are the features that we've suggested and built actually providing a benefit to people are people buying this service is the business becoming sustainable is it making revenue then you know whether you did a good job or not of course there's always reasons why it might not for instance, generate revenue. We've worked on tools before where they, um, like this is about nine years ago, I we built an app, did all the design, all the, the build side, and they, they run out of money basically for the actual kind of marketing and sales side of things. Um, so it never really got its chance. So I feel like then we did a really good job, but ultimately the, the startup died um but it could have been different had they invested more in the kind of marketing side of things um so yeah back to my point it's really difficult to measure because we are normally one part of a much bigger jigsaw it can be easier when there is a clear measurable objective to start with Um, we've done um conversion rate optimization work before where we look at how can we stop people dropping out of sign up flows um so the uh, a business gets more customers basically and in those cases you look at where the biggest drop-offs are and then you focus on those areas first through the kind of uh, onboarding flow and with those cases you can say 
okay, it was one in um, a thousand people signed up who visited the original site. Now it's um, 200 in every thousand, which is a huge improvement. Mm -hmm. um, so with those cases, they're really easy to measure and say, okay, that was us. We did that bit. Um, we updated the design. We made it load quicker. We reduced the number of steps. We updated the language. Okay, that bit is easy to measure. But there are very few briefs where that is so clear cut, where you can actually say, this is the difference we made. This is how long it took. And this is the return on investment. Um, so yeah, it is, it is tricky. And it also makes it difficult to sell design services because you can't just say, okay, if you give me X amount of money, you will get X plus Y back. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the success of a project. I think I've started to think about it in terms of our client retention. Are we providing a good service that the clients value? And most of our client relationships last years. So I think that we are doing well in, in that respect and we are adding value, but exactly how much value that is, is so difficult to measure. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think about. You know, when I look at engineering, product, and design, you know, how do you put a dollar or pound value on what you guys do or what the design process does? And um, you've clearly highlighted as much as much as you think is is tangibly possible there. But you're so right. There's no there's no silver bullet to it. It would seem. Yeah, not at the moment anyway. This is something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment. And so, yeah, let's have this conversation again in a year's time. And I'm, I might have <laughs> more fully formed ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, look, I'm conscious of uh, <clears throat> of your time. That, um, do you have any advice? I mean, the more competitive the, the space becomes, as you say, people come from, it's another really interesting thing when I get asked to look for, or when I haven't been asked in the past to conduct a search for product designers you know that background is so there's never any there's never any real pattern to a traditional route to a designer um almost never <laughs> um they can come from all walks of life but do you have any advice for designers that are or even on the flip side you know startups that maybe looking to make their mark from a design perspective you know it could be insurtechs or fintechs like what's your kind of I guess advice from 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 that perspective on the designers or designers join a startup that want to make a mark in this current climate. Um, I think experimenting with things and trying things out and actually designing interfaces. Um, that's one of the reasons I kind of got into digital design as opposed to physical product design, mm. because. Um, you can change things when they're live and it's very low risk um, to try stuff out. Very low bar, uh, like barrier to entry. Um, whereas with physical product design, for instance, if you design a chair and you haven't designed it properly, you could really hurt someone. <laughs> but with user interface design, the vast majority of the time, no one's gonna die if you haven't designed it correctly. So just start designing stuff, um, start building stuff, start finding what you think is really interesting and, and spending time on that. Because as soon as it gets boring, you're going to lose interest. Your work's not going to be as good. So kind of design stuff that you're really interested in, help build up your portfolio, and then you'll find that 
it's much easier to get a job in that space that you're interested in because you've got this portfolio of work that you do that obviously you really love, looks really good, works really well. Um, so there's that side of it, but there's also the just going out and speaking with people, going to events, um, going to conferences, just meeting different people and and getting feedback on things and not being afraid of like negative feedback. People saying they don't like what you've done or they don't think it's very good, but understanding why they've said that and then taking any positive parts of that on board um, to help shape your, your next designs that you do because um, that's the whole kind of point of the philosophy behind digital design is and product design is basically make mistakes learn from it and then the next iteration will be better and then just repeat that process and things will improve um, and you've got to be quite thick-skinned at times to to cope with that I wish I'd realized that earlier on um, like at university with some of my work I get some negative feedback and then sort of just go Oh, I don't want to look at it ever again. I don't want to spend any more time on that. But actually, it's it it makes you stronger, um, and you keep at it. So yeah, um, keep designing, and keep trying stuff out, and get feedback from from actual people, and and don't mm. be afraid of any negative stuff. There's only lessons, not mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it goes back to the kind of feel fast element of it, but. Um... Look, um, again, it's been it's been great to have you on. I'm, I'm conscious of your time. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to put you on the spot and uh, and ask you a fun little question that maybe you've never been asked. Um, if you could redesign any famous product or interface from your knowledge, what would it be and why? Famous ones. Um, most of the famous ones. Are really good because that's how they got famous like even stuff like amazon where you look at it and go god this is there's so much going on here there's a reason why it's like that because that's optimizes sales as, as much as possible but i think maybe some of the interfaces in some like futuristic sci-fi films where they're these sort of bright wire-framey blueprinty looking interfaces they're 3d People are lifting their arms up to drag and pull things around and pulling bits of data. That is so impractical that it, it, it just, when I watch films like that, I just think this has now become unre unrealistic for me, that they would never design an interface where you have to move your arms around that much. People would be knackered after like half an hour. And it, it would just be a simple view. Uh, and at this level of technology, why aren't they just having like brain implants that just show them what they wanted to know at the time. And yeah, why are they still relying on someone having to wave their arms around to pull in different interfaces? So I'd love to redesign some of those like futuristic space sci-fi film uh, interfaces that they have and probably end up sucking the fun out of it. <laughs> it would just be a small screen with a small bit of relevant information. Um, yeah, not all this arms waving around, pulling stuff in. It's all around them. Bright green, yeah. green and blue. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, there you go. That's what James would redesign in his world. But um, look, thank you for coming on and, and giving me your time. As I say, I know you're you and the team are very busy over there. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much, Gavin. Yeah, it's good to chat with you. And hopefully, we'll get to speak again soon. Yes, thank you.